Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summero and subscribe to StacySummero.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I'm thrilled you're on the journey with me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm asking for your prayers for my grandfather. He passed away two weeks ago. His funeral is tomorrow and his wake is today. And I know I am just going to be a mess for them, but he had such an amazing life. He was married to my grandma for 69 and a half years. He fought in three wars for the USA and received the Purple Heart and the Legion of Merit. And I'm finding out all these things about him after he died. I'm seeing all these pictures of him helping wounded children in Vietnam and um, pictures of him and my grandma on the beach together when they were 24 and engaged. And my goodness, what an amazing person and amazing life. And he has taught me so much about faithfulness and steadfastness. So please just join me in praying for his soul and also for my grandma, who is understandably having a hard time dealing with his death. For anyone who's lost a loved one, and also for my grandpa's soul, I'm going to be singing a chant at the end called In Paradisum. It's sung traditionally at a burial mass. So that'll be at the end of this epic episode. So uh, we're about to get into something just long here, and it's amazing. Uh, Patrick Coffin was the host of Catholic Answers Live for something like 14 years. So he just oozes intelligence. And right from the outset of my podcasting journey, he was on my short list of dream guests to have on the show. And it happened. Dreams come true, you guys. Not only did he grant me an interview, he granted me an almost two-hour interview. This is by far the longest episode. So I just wanted his input on so many different things, um, discerning our Catholic response to popular culture, what movies we should watch, keeping our faith strong throughout the crisis in the church. And I wanted his input in particular because Patrick has been unafraid to cover a lot of controversial topics. He just goes places that other interviewers don't go. So you're going to love his uh, his input here. He has a culture-building community called Coffin Nation, of which I am a proud member. And you can check that out at coffinnation.com or click on the link in the show notes. I hope you check it out and join as well. Lately, I have been thinking about my days when I was on the sisterhood becoming nuns, and I was very fortunate to appear on some amazing news outlets, Fox News, uh, the Today Show, Access Hollywood. And I was just thinking about how I flew to Los Angeles, did all this makeup and hair and all this buildup for about 15 seconds of coverage. Seriously, it was that short. Access Hollywood was a bit longer, but Fox News and the Today Show, they asked me one question. I had 15 seconds to answer it. And so I'm just so grateful that podcasts don't come in quick sound bites, um, especially in particular this one. This extended conversation is amazing in a world where everything's being packaged into these hashtags and fewer and fewer characters. Um, and I love this medium because God honestly usually works in long form. His providence really unfolds slowly. So I'm grateful that I get to have this long-form conversation about discernment. First, before we get into the episode, let me bend your ear for a minute. I want to tell you about today's episode sponsor, The Beloved and Worthy Challenge. It was on my heart for months to write a scripture-based retreat for women because for years, I walked around with the self-limiting beliefs that I was fundamentally inadequate. I tried to please people, and every day, I fell short. I hated the way I looked, and I thought I was only good enough if I was a size double zero. 
Unfortunately, I see the devil whispering lies in the ears of my beautiful listeners as well. Reading and meditating on scripture was my way of discovering what God thinks of me. Ladies, we are beloved daughters of God, and he wants us to walk in deep security and hope. The devil has nothing to back up the lies that we aren't enough, but God has an eternity of wisdom and truth to back up what he says about us, that we are his beautiful and his beloved daughters. Let's discover it together through the Beloved and Worthy Retreat. For seven days, you get a scripture-based video reflection, an action challenge, and reflection questions. I also designed a beautiful graphic of the verse of the day so you can put it on your phone or tape it to your mirror or wherever you need to to remind yourself of truth with a capital T. You can get all of this for a nominal price. I made it affordable because I want people to be able to get it in their inboxes and to feed themselves with truth. You can get that at stacysummerocom slash shop or you can click on the link in the show notes. And also you can get this and all future challenges free when you become my Patreon supporter. Patreon is a way for creatives to create sustainable income. So I've taken it upon myself this year to release new challenges every three months in my Patreon community and for sale on my website, but you get it all included for only starting at $5 a month when you join Patreon. You'll get four challenges this year on different topics, and you'll also get access to my faith and lifestyle show called Coffee Sips, and you'll also get monthly video chats with me and my cronies. You can find out more by visiting patreon.com slash called caffeinated or click on the link in the show notes. I just wanted to ask you for one more favor as well. Can you please leave an iTunes rating and review if you haven't already? I know I sound like a broken record asking for one every episode. iTunes shows new people the show based on the number of ratings and reviews I have. So it really does help get the show seen by more eyes. It takes 10 seconds. It's honestly so quick and it makes such a difference in my life. I'm just enjoying reading all the new reviews and I just love hearing from you guys. So please take 10 seconds and do that. Fantastic. Let's get into the episode with Patrick Coffin. Patrick, thank you so much for being my guest on Called and Caffeinated. I am thrilled and honored, and I'm very nervous because I can't control the questions you do. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yes. Yes. When people ask me, because um, some people have been very kind and complimented me on my interviewing skills, and they're like, who do you, how did you like learn how to interview? And I was like, well, I watched Patrick Coffin, and there were a few select others as well, but um, I've been watching you interview people for a couple of years now, and I always just uh, really am inspired by your style. So I just want to thank you for what you're doing, putting out all of these videos that are so needed on YouTube and Coffin Nation and so forth. Just want to thank you for all the work Great. you're doing. Well, thank you very much. It's um, music mm-hmm. to my ears. You know, when you're, as you know now, uh, when you're sitting there with your your headphones on and your your coffee beverage, you wonder, am I making an impact? Is this connecting with people yes. out there in in, uh, in internet yes. land? So thank you. Absolutely. Very important question for you. Um, what is your coffee beverage today? It's Lavazza Espresso. It's from oh, nice. Torino. They started in 1895. It's my favorite go-to espresso. Uh, L-A-V-A-Z-Z-A. Or if you're in Canada, (laughs) L-A-V-A-Z-Z-A. Thanks for the translation. Or England. I used to live in England. So, yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah. I... I, um, I was had a really hard time in school at first, just from the Zed thing. I was like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get what you people are talking about. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it, I actually, when I was thinking about this interview, I was like, I bet Patrick's going to have a very specific coffee order. 
um, you seem like the, the type who really hand selects your coffee. Is that true? Well, as I might say in, in uh, Nova Scotia, I ain't no canoister, but I like, <laughs> I like what I like and I'm, I'm not naturally patient. So if I, if I land upon something I really enjoy, I feel like it's a waste of my bandwidth to start hunting for some other thing that I might enjoy. Mm. So I've been a Tim Hortons uh, loyal customer consumer for many years. So Tim Hortons is practically a religion up in Canada. Yes, it is. And That's where we used to go when yeah. I was on tour. We would go to Tim Hortons every morning and get those those dang donuts are so good. Oh yeah, and if you're getting directions in Canada, it's not you know take a right on Main Street. You, it's more like yeah, head down a couple kilometers, take a left at the Tims, and then make a right <laughs> at the other Tims, and then it's the fourth Tims on your left. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So Patrick, what calls have you received from God in your life thus far? And what did receiving those calls look and feel like for you? Wow. Great question. I was going to start with baptism, but that was probably God calling my parents to get me baptized. <laughs> that was a, a wee taught in Halifax. Um, I think the first call happened when I was 16 years old at a retreat. And I was kind of raised Catholic, made all my sacraments. My mother was a convert from, uh, it's a breakaway of Presbyterianism called the United Church of Canada, now uh, affectionately called the Untied Church of Canada because it's dying so quickly. Um, and so she became a Catholic in 1980. A lot of things happened to my family in, in 1980. And one of them was this, uh, this kind of spiritual renewal in my parents' marriage. My father got sober. And I was on, uh, I don't know if your listeners have heard of the Curcio movement, but uh, it's a terrific weekend format that started in Mallorca in 1948. It's got like eight, eight popes have approved this movement. This is a really great lay-led, C-U-R-S-I-L-L-L, Curcio. Okay, and, I'll um, put that in the show notes. Yeah, and there was a, a youth version of it called Challenge, and that's the time when I really kind of came alive to the fact that Jesus Christ was not just a historical person in a book, but he was uh, available to me in prayer, that he died for my sins and he wanted a relationship with me and he had a plan for my life. That was really the first conscious unwrapping of the gifts of uh, baptism and confirmation. And then I went to a Catholic university and uh, taught mostly by ex-clergy and uh, of the dissenting class and I essentially lost my faith over four, mm -hmm. over four years. But that call, I mean, it's, you know, the parable of the seed falling on rocky ground I could really relate to. And uh, maybe another call was my return. Thanks to a, a guy you, you and I've talked off the air about um, my spiritual father, Archbishop Sheen, my in introduction to his writings and discovering Humana Vitae. And of course, you know, the Holy spirit filling in all the gaps. But um, mm. I, it's a mysterious interplay, Stacy. I've always I've thought about this for a long time. What's the what's the dance between what I want to do and what God wants me to do? Mm. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing yes. um, the Mike Rowe, the guy from Dirty Jobs. Uh, he gives a talk called "Don't Follow Your Dreams." It's a really interesting talk, and his point is. A lot of people invest time and energy and money and they go whole hog into what they think their passion is. Let's just say you want to be an actress. You go to acting school. The problem is you suck at acting, but nobody wants to tell you. And so you make all this investment and because it's your passion. Hey, well, maybe following your passion is not a good idea. 
maybe you should start with something you're naturally good at or could get good at if you gave it a try. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those mysteries, hopefully we'll find out more about in heaven, but the interplay between God's mm-hmm. providence in your life and your free choice to correspond with it. For instance, I did not feel God was calling me to, to host Catholic Answers Live. It happened in, in segments. I wanted to do radio. I always loved the medium. I listened to hours and hours of Rush Limbaugh when I was younger. I, oh, I listened too. to yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Royal Canadian Air Force, CBC Radio, BBC International. Those, that was my radio uh, kind of uh, audible encyclopedic background was all radio, even more than television probably. So I did this 25 or so minute long CD called Pop the Culture. And it was kind of a sample of a show that I would like to do. But it was a little too Christian for NPR and it was too secular for EWTN. So I thought, so I did nothing with it. It kind of gathered dust on my shelf for a couple of um, years. It was a monologue and I I pumped some money into it just to make it sound half decent. And then I I got an email from a screenwriter named Kevin Eldridge, one liner. You'd be perfect for this. So I open up the link. Boom. Jerry Usher's leaving Catholic Answers Live. And my first thought was, maybe this is why I made that CD. So I threw it in the mail and within Mm. two days got a phone call and that led to an audition. And then it was another round of auditions. And by God's grace, I was the last man standing. But I didn't set out to do that. Mm. It kind of happened in stages that I I didn't foresee the outcome. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. There's actually quite a number of things that you've said that parallel with my story as far as getting a reality TV show. Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, Probably most of my listeners know that I did a reality TV show about discerning religious life. And exactly like you said, I got an email from a best friend that said, you'd be perfect for this. And she sent me the, um, you know, so-called audition notice, but it wasn't really an audition. It was like, they came to my house. I didn't leave my apartment for for this show. And it wasn't something that I was seeking out. It was seeking me out. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I also know too, I, I love what you bring up about the interplay between my will and God's will. And there's been a number of times where I have felt called to something and I really have to work hard at it. Um, and it says it doesn't come easy, but I know that I'm called to it, or at least I think that I'm called to it. And then over time that bears fruit. Whereas other times I'm called to things that I don't feel inclined toward. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating situational thing that differs depending on, you know, what the call is. And that's why I love having this long form conversation over podcast where you don't have commercial breaks and you don't have a time limit. You can just go as long as you want. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. And, and then once you got into it, did you, did you feel like, oh, this is the place for me? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm where I'm supposed to be or doing Catholic answers. Did you feel like I'm a fish out of water or somewhere in between? Great question. Uh, it's not one answer. I, when I finally realized that when I hung up the phone and agreed to quote, as they called it, fill in for Jerry, mm. that was the euphemism for you're going to be doing the live show as an audition and everybody's going to be listening to you critically. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. I was, no, I just relax. <laughs> what, could, what could go wrong except for everything? <laughs> right. um, so I'm driving in from Los Angeles to San Diego. And if if anyone has ever spent any time in Southern California, having grown up somewhere else, when the lightest rain hits the highways, everyone loses the ability to drive. So it was <laughs> traffic was at a standstill. And now I'm seriously nervous because I thought I'm going to be, I'm going to admit it's a live radio show. Mm. No one's going to go, please stand by for 42 minutes while the host arrived. <laughs> so um, I got lost. 
uh, long story. Let me cut to the chase. I, I, I could hardly breathe, Stacy. I was so nervous because I had never heard the show before I auditioned. Wow. I, because it was never, it was not in Los Angeles. And I, I wasn't really, a, uh, I was too busy at the time. And I, I'm an avid reader. So I wasn't really on the podcast train yet. Mm. So I listened to a couple of other hosts who were trying out on the internet. And I decided, don't do that. Don't listen. Because if I, if I hear someone who's also auditioning, who I think doesn't sound that great, I might get cocky or overconfident. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or if I hear someone who would just, you know, blow me out of the water, I would get insecure and yes. want to back out. So I didn't, I just played it down the middle. So I'm sitting there and my heart's racing. And uh, the, the woman who eventually hired me, my, my now dear friend, Jan Wakelin says, look, um, the, the priest who's supposed to be on is at the airport. He can't make it. Steve Ray will be the first guest. And I thought, Oh good. I know Steve Ray. He, mm. I, I met him at a conference. It's a Q and a open forum. And I, as I'm asking her what a Q and a open forum is, the, the on air light comes on. Wow. The first caller of that first hour of my first day was a prank caller who dropped in a reference to Howard Stern's genitals. I kid you not. Oh my gosh. So I, I, I'm like, for some reason, once I saw the on-air light, once I got rolling, I know it sounds odd or, or prideful, my nerves vanished. Uh, uh-huh. I thought to myself, if I want this job, this could, you know, the wheels could fall off every single day. If you want this, this is the kind of thing you're going to have to deal with and roll with. So I pointed to the engineer and, and he nods and I said, okay, I think the guy's name was David. David, uh, maybe ponder growing up or something let's move on to bob in tennessee <laughs> and i just ignored it so at the at the end oh so let me get to the end uh the second guest is the late great father benedict groschel i remember oh, this yes. vividly because mm-hmm. father groschel whom i'd also met mm-hmm. uh, at franciscan university he tells me it's probably 17 minutes left in the hour well, Patrick, I'm here in uh, Dobbs Ferry, New York, and they want me to go give a blessing. So I got to go. God bless everybody. The do, 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 in the name of the Father. He left the show. He hung. He hangs up. Oh, my so, gosh. <laughs> now I've got dead air and no callers. So wow. um, all I did was said, thanks a lot, Father Grishel. If you have heard this and he's helped you with through his books, being on EWTN or his uh, conferences, give us a call. I gave the number out. As soon as I, as soon as I said the number once, all the phone lines lit up and I sailed to the end of the show. Wow. And I really think, I think that was providential mm-hmm. because I think the decision makers saw how I reacted under pressure. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, so and then I, one more round and so boom, I got the job. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Oh, by the way, one last thing. This is my guardian angel at work. When I pointed to the sound engineer, he circled back later and said, uh, how did you know where the dump button was? I said, what, what are you talking about? You pointed at the dump button when the, the, the prankster, I said, I have no idea what that is. So he brings me around to the other side of the glass in the studio and says, I thought Jan told you how this works. I said, no, I, I never even thought about a dump button. He goes, yeah, that, that whole call vanished and it didn't appear. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So those are little, you know, God's little, you know, tap on the shoulder, attaboys, keep going straight. Yeah. yeah. I heard right. some somewhere, um, and I don't even know where, God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called. 
And uh, that seems to be true of many of my callings, certainly. It sounds like yours as well. I know I was giving a retreat in Raleigh last weekend, and the whole retreat took place in, it was a youth retreat, and it took place in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. It was very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And as I was praying that morning before my talk, this was a new talk. I had never given it before. I'd worked very hard on it. And, you know, I thought I had all the points down, but I wasn't completely positive. And so I, I usually keep notes on the side, and I'll just refer to them, you know, a couple times throughout the talk if need be. And I just got the sense that the Lord was like, you know what? I'm giving you a lot of grace right now for something that's coming up that's hard. And I was like, okay. And sure enough, I brought my notes with me and I lost them one minute before the talk started. <laughs> Couldn't find nice. the notes. Yep. And so I gave the talk and you know what? It was like, I was just carried through. I didn't even have a need to look at the notes once for this brand new talk. And it was like, okay, there you go. You know, you're, you're just proving your faithfulness to me in this yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, mm -hmm. It's also proving that you have the natural chops to do it. Sometimes. Yeah. God will just take away your supports or your, um, your, your crutch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And I was, I was carried. That's for sure. Did that change your relationship to your, to your talk notes going forward after that? Realizing, hey, they're, they're not my heroine. I actually don't need them. Actually, God forbid. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I actually usually have given uh, talks without notes. I've given them many times in the past. Um, the talks I know well, I certainly do that without notes, and I can talk for an hour, no problem. Mm -hmm. The I think this one, because it was new, that's why I really wanted to have the notes there. And... Um, it's funny because I don't remember everything that I said. I knew that it was the right thing to say in the moment, but I think the Holy Spirit was there. This whole thing about being spirit-led, this is like a new, this is kind of, I feel like this is where God wants me to really become secure and blossom in my spiritual life lately is mm -hmm. he wants me to be led by the nudgings of the Holy Spirit minute to minute. And that, something that I didn't grow up really learning or knowing how to do. And so I think that's why he's kind of leading me with this kind of thing. So I know that I said things that I needed to, that needed to be said. And I know I said things that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I don't remember exactly what those things were. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Maybe you'll relate to this as a, as an actor, your muscle memory, sometimes your, your memory has like a, it's stored in there somewhere, whatever I said that was off off book. It's stored in there somewhere. It'll come out again when I practice or when I give the talk, but it's not like I could sit there and be like, oh, well, these five points are different than what I wrote down. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's almost, um, you don't want to say it's bodily, but it's almost, yeah. it's there in a, this is going to sound new agey. It's almost there on a cellular level. You just have to kind yes. of squeeze it up and out it comes. And you didn't, you were, you were only half aware that that you had the ability to communicate that or express those thoughts and voila, there you do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I, when I started speaking, it was like, maybe you relate to this too. I mean, I, I, I memorized my talks word for word. I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. And um, my very first talk ever was at the national Catholic youth conference. Huge, like that's a big stage to start off with, you know, <laughs> my very first talk. And, and I was so nervous, but I feel like it's kind of um, as I practice it's becoming easier to think on my feet and to sort of dive into a thought more deeply as I'm speaking in front of people and to not be afraid to go into that. 
um, mm-hmm. while it's happening in the moment, which is something that that's a blessing. That's a, that's the Holy Spirit right there is, is, you know, as well as just practice, you know, just doing it over and over again. We're yep. going all over the map here, which I love. I love hearing your story. Um, but I want to hear just a little bit about your musical theater experience. You obviously ha- are a, a man of many talents, and um, I'm just interested to know what drew you to theater and then what drew you away. And this was all pre-Catholic <coughs> Answers, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. Yeah, it was. Um, I I played guitar terribly. I can play a little bit of piano by ear, but I've always loved singing. And I, I sang mm. at church. I was a cantor. And uh, after I graduated from university uh, as a pretty committed agnostic, I wanted to start auditioning. And I did and had more yeses than noes. And I did it off and on, uh, well, mostly mostly full-time for about three years. And from wow. from Toronto East, I did a through the University of Toronto. I did a program in drama at uh, the Stratford Theatre, a Shakespearean based place in uh, Stratford, Ontario. Um, and I found that I loved after my reversion after, after I came back to the church. I saw a lot of overlap between um, performing in plays that communicate life and the work of of evangelization. Now, obviously one is seed planting and one, the other is more overt, but in my case, either I didn't want to keep going from town to town, audition to audition. I mean, it's a really tough life. You're talking about Mm -hmm. a pyramid in which a very, very few people stick it out or know the right people or have the right talent, the right match, Mm -hmm. so on. So you have to go through a marathon of hearing the word no. And Mm -hmm. I just drifted off and I, I couldn't find a way to marry my desire to teach the faith with being someone else on a stage. So Mm. I, it's not like, Oh, the devil runs this place. I'm out of here to save my soul. I just didn't see how, how I could drink this glass of water and also drink that glass of water. So I I figured Mm. one has to go. I think it could be possible. I know some, some serious Catholics who are in the entertainment industry and it, it can be done. But I wanted to be more explicit in my teaching. So I, mm-hmm. in fact, it's funny you bring up, I, I, mentioned, I mentioned Bishop Sheen. The first thing I published was in the uh, Catholic Register up in Toronto. And it was called Televangelism's Once Good Name. And it was an essay on Bishop Sheen, on how mm-hmm. I discovered him and so on. And uh, I really wanted to do more explicit teaching of the faith. I looked around and I thought, there's so many... Uh, people in RCIA that are are really hungry. There are lapsed Catholics. We're surrounded by a sea of lapsed Catholics. And I wanted a better way to to finish the sentence, I'm Catholic because. So mm. that's why I went to McGill and got a diploma in the philosophy of Catholic education. Then I went to Franciscan University and did a, a master's degree in theology. And I was kind of off to the races. But this theater thing never left me. The writing never left me. And I, I was part of the first graduating class of Act One, writing for Hollywood. And that was uh, wow. founded by Barbara Nicolosi and a, a great team of professional screenwriters. So that's kind of my avocation on the side. I'm working on my second movie script. I produced and really? co-wrote, a, co-wrote a movie called uh, Call of the Void in 2000, wow. 2016 in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a wow. film noir. If, if your listeners have seen the TV show 24, um, our lead actor... Uh, James Morrison played Bill Buchanan opposite uh, Kiefer Sutherland. And we're pretty sure we've wow. discovered a star named Mojan Aria. So you've heard it here, folks. 
M-O-J-E-A-N-A-R-I-A, Mojan Aria. J- huh. Just last year, won the Heath Ledger Acting Award in Australia. He's a phenomenal young actor, and he was our our Steve character. So I, wow. I have always been a cinephile. That's C I M, by the way, not S I N. I mean, love of movies. <laughs> Just, you know, it works better in print than it does on podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so I synonymous uh, pronunciation. I I have read a lot about what Catholic popes have written about. Um, films and there are two encyclicals devoted to movies one from 1936 called vigilante cure by pius the 11th and then the other one is called miranda Pro- very forgettable name miranda prosis by venerable pius the 12th and they if, if anyone is interested in the interfaith interplay between faith and, and film they should read those two encyclicals um, that is so interesting yeah. wow Yep. Um, first, qu- first question about what you just said is when is your next film coming out or are you not sure? Um, as soon as I get to the finish line on, <laughs> on, the, on the first draft, I, I, I want to get it show ready before I send it to, to a director or to okay. talent. Um, yeah. and I know it's very, very hard to make a movie. It's uh, thousands yeah. and thousands of scripts arrive every year in to the writer's guild. And, um, you know, it's a 1% operation. Luckily, Mm -hmm. or thanks be to God, I don't think the odds apply to me. I think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't look at the results too much. I just try to stay in the now. That's really good. My next question is, this was one of my questions that I sent you actually, that I would love to hear about your guidelines for, for movies. And I did not know that there were two encyclicals about movies. What have they taught you as far as your consumption, your guidelines for media consumption? I would say a very good question. I think mm-hmm. the most important concept or, or the most important thing to think about as you're watching a film is the premise. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the potty words. If they're potty words, you know, that could be an expression of the writer wanting the characters to sound the way they sound in their natural environment. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a bad person. Potty words do not bother me. Um, I think, I mean, if you're, if you're talking casino or the average Martin Scorsese movie that I think the potty words there backfire because you get desensitized to them. Um, Mm -hmm. my exception would be the Lord's name in vain. I can't take, I can't take that at all. Really bothers me. I have this little tradition that I do. If I hear the Lord's name taken in vain on a TV show or a movie, if I, if, if it's more than once, I tend to turn it off, but I'll make the sign of the cross and just say, Lord, sorry, you're hearing this. You know, I hope this Mm. doesn't offend you too much. Mm. But um, premise, like what's the overall uh, platform conclusion that a, a reasonable person would, would, would take away from this movie? Um, a good example of that might be a very gnarly film. In fact, I think it's on the Internet Movie Database as having the highest number of, of uh, F-bombs, um, even mm. more than Casino. It's called Nil by Mouth. It was written and directed by Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman finally won the Academy Award for playing Winston Churchill two years ago in The Darkest Hour. Uh, his agent is a personal friend, and he was a co-producer on this movie. And it's about drug addiction and poverty and violence. And it's very, it's, <laughs> let's put it this way, Stacey, they're never going to make a musical out of it. Um, <laughs> but its premise is, is anti-drugs, anti-violence. Um, another example, I don't want to throw too much content at your listeners but if they have a pen great. a good That's example great. of this of what i'm talking about premise is a movie about adultery uh called lantana l-a-n-t-a-n-a 
Lantana. I've heard of that one. Yeah, Lantana is based on an Australian uh, award-winning play called Speaking in Tongues by Andrew Bovell. And it stars Jeffrey Rush, Barbara Hershey, and Anthony LaPaglia. It's a murder mystery, but it's, it's all about the cop cheating on his wife while he's investigating a murder of a couple where there was adultery. So he's all kind of divided. But the premise of the movie is that monogamy is, is, leads to human flourishing. That cheating is a terrible, mm. terrible idea, but there's no finger pointing. There's no Bible thumping. It's just kind of there as the mm. premise. So, you know, premises, premise is very important. Mm. The second, Absolutely. maybe the second criteria is, uh, I always, I'm always on the lookout for the shadow of the incarnation in every story. Mm. One of my, one of my teachers is David Howard. David Howard uh, started the um, USC f graduate film writing program. And he has a great definition of story. He says, a story is when someone wants something very badly and they're having a hard time getting it. Hmm. So that note is present in all great stories. Mm -hmm. So what do we call the greatest story ever told? Right? Is there even a movie by that title? That's, mm -hmm. that's the incarnation of the divine son of God through the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's the greatest story because it's the greatest possible story. Tolkien said it's the one myth that most, that all men want to be true that came true. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm trying to, I don't know if it's going to be a book or what, Stacy, but I, I, I'm pretty obsessed with this. My book idea is, uh, and hope, hopefully no one will steal it. <laughs> yeah, now you've said that. it. <laughs> can we, can we, take, can I back up? Can we block, block, delete this, change topics. <laughs> um, quick, quick. Pivot. No, it's, um, it's just this idea of Hollywood Jesus. And I'll give you, I can start with one example. If you're interested, I can tell you a couple more examples. Have you seen the movies Annie? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Annie is one of the, one of the top money-making Broadway shows. It was made into a film in uh, 1979 by John Huston, of all people, starring Albert Finney and the great Carol Burnett. There's a remake a couple of years ago, which didn't do as well. No. But think about, think about why Annie works so well. Why was it so beloved? It's from Little Orphan Annie, but the musical as structured is the incarnation. Hmm. Annie, ana, anima is the Latin word for soul. Hmm. So the audience is Annie. We're her. And she's an, what is she? She's an orphan. Hmm. We're orphans. She lives in, a, in, in, the, in the orphanage, which is a really bad place. It's a fallen world. And it's, overrule, it's, it's, it's uh, ruled by an alcoholic, abusive woman named Miss Hannigan, who's kind of like the devil. Hmm. So that we're in this fallen world and it's run by a devil. So who rescues Annie? Abba rescues Annie. Hmm. Daddy, Daddy Warbucks. Warbucks. Yeah. Wow. And Daddy Warbucks has a mansion. And he brings Annie. Now, there's, it's not a perfect parallel. And obviously, they weren't setting out to, to create a Bible story. Mm -hmm. But Daddy Warbucks rescues Annie. Hmm. And it's a, a lot of these things are, I think they're inadvertent. But most people when they watch this, they're not aware that the name of the emissary of Daddy Warbucks to rescue Annie and bring her to his mansion, it's his secretary, and her name is Grace. Hmm. Right? Grace Farrell. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that. And the, yeah, and so Annie brings, brings her friends with her. Hmm. So it's Catholic and not Protestant. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
That's really good. Yeah, I had. So that's that's one example. Uh-huh. Um, so I could a Spider Man, the first Spider Man. Wow, Peter Parker. He's the he's human nature. Spidey powers, divine nature. Um, the Green Goblin brings him up to the top of a building and basically says, "You know, bow down before me, and I'll give you all these kingdoms." Mm. And then at the end, he realizes that if he wants to fight evil directly, he can't have Mary Jane. He can't have the white picket fence in marriage. Mm. He's got to fight evil as a celibate. Mm. Yeah, it's all there. That's amazing. So, yeah, a couple of examples. Yeah. What is, so there's all these beautiful things you can draw out of modern movies and so forth. What I'm finding, or my theory, is that people have different tolerances as to violence and sexuality and so forth. Mm-hmm. I notice, like, there's a lot of very popular, many of them, you know, what you're talking about, where these there's these incredible incarnational parallels. But I notice um, we've gotten into a very, uh, a theme in our culture where the good guy is the bad guy. You know, they go into his tortured past or um, something, say, mm-hmm. like Mad Men, Don Draper is, you know, he's doing all these horrible things and he gets justly punished for them over time. But I noticed for myself as I was watching that show, I was like, I just have to turn it off at a certain point. I just can't watch it anymore, no matter what the good themes are, because I... I just noticed those images and that sort of um, very, very negative, just kind of bringing me down throughout my day. Um, and sure enough, I talked with my spiritual director and he was like, yeah, you have a, you have a sensitive soul. You have to be careful what you put yourself into. But certainly other, yeah. other shows like, um, you know, we could name any number of them. Um, do you... Do you believe there's sort of a personal tolerance, like you have to get acquainted with your own personal tolerance of what you can take in as far as, you know, language, sexuality, <clears throat> violence, and that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different level of sensitivity. Some people, they just, and it's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to watch gnarly movies. You don't have to right. watch Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And because you're, when you're, when you're wa- especially watching and not just reading, mm-hmm. people uh, have to understand that there's some there's a supercharged nature to watching things depicted. Um, movies are much more manipulative. When you read a book, you're looking at black symbols on a white page. When you're watching a film, whether it involves nudity or or blasphemy or ultra violence or what have you, even if it doesn't have those things, you are immersed in that world. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know about you, but I often I'll feel under a movie spell sometimes for a couple of days. Sometimes yes. it's good. It's a good spell. Yes. Sometimes I just feel slimed by it. You know, yeah. I want my two hours back. This happened to me with a movie called Manchester by Sea, um, starring uh, Michelle Williams and uh, uh, Casey Affleck. Mm-hmm. And it's by a guy called, uh, what's his last name? His last name is Lonergan. I forget his first name. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's the most depressing thing I've ever had, I've ever seen. Mm. It's awful. It's nihilistic. And uh, the director said that he, he, he wanted to make a movie for people that don't need things to work out. Well, <laughs> mission accomplished. For mm. So mm-hmm. I didn't like being immersed in that, in that environment. It's about loss. It's about regret. It's about not having contrition. Roll the credits at the end. The, the, the trailer was very misleading. So I agree. You, you just, you don't have to go through that journey if you don't want to, or if it's going to make your spirit feel uh, depressed or darkened mm. or, or discouraged. I, I don't recommend yeah. it. Yeah. These are such first world problems. Like anything we watch is optional. Yeah. 
But at the same time, nobody wants to. And I remember being this person in college. Like nobody wants to be the person who's like, ah, guys, I don't want to watch this movie when it's movie night. But you just have to be honest with yourself because it can really do some damage in your soul if you continually expose yourself to these kinds of things. And like you said, sometimes you you watch the trailer, you think it's going to be fine. You don't know. Mm-hmm. But just exerting that, exerting your willpower instead of letting it use you in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish that there was, I just wish our standards were higher as a society. I think we can explain why the era called the golden age of cinema is called the golden Mm. age. And that's because of Catholics. Mm. What do I mean? In 1934, there was a, uh, a program implemented called the Hayes production code. Um, William Hayes was the postmaster general at the time. And it was a, it was a list of don'ts and be carefuls Mm. that governed the Hollywood industry. And Hayes was, uh, he was succeeded by a a pugnacious Irish Catholic named Joseph Breen. Then the Hayes office became known as the Breen office, Mm. um, still called the production code. And from 1934 or thereabouts to 1966, the Legion of Decency um, kind of joined forces with Breen's production code. And at the, at the end of mass, um, there would be an announcement about the uh, Legion of Decency list on the back of the, in the, in the vestibule of the church. And Catholics would pledge not to see these movies if they were deemed to be morally offensive. Wow. And guess what? Now, this is not censorship. No one's saying you can't make your dumb movies. What we're saying is we're not paying for them. Mm-hmm. And so you, you look at a movie like, I think the greatest film ever made and possibly the greatest film that ever can be made is It's a Wonderful Life by, by Frank so Capra. Mm-hmm. Um, on my shelf, I'm looking at a, uh, a book called the It's a Wonderful Life. I think it's called the It's a, it's the, it's a Wonderful Life book. And there are pages photocopied from the production code notes that were given to Capra before he filmed the movie. And some of them you kind of grin at, like he was, one of the characters says, ah, oh, nuts. no. Can't have that word. Wow, <laughs> so really? It, obviously, it reflects the, the the kind of the mores of the area. But look what look at all the things that were able to be put. Just to just to take that movie as an example. There's a scene in this movie that involves a naked 18 year old and a and a young man, and he's three feet from her. What? <laughs> yeah, just wow. before Jimmy, just before George learns that his father's had a stroke. They're walking and they're singing Buffalo Girls. Mm-hmm. Won't you come mm-hmm. out tonight? And he mm-hmm. he steps on her. Uh, he steps on the on the, um, mm-hmm. the bathrobe. Uh, what's the not handle? The what's like the, the sash or whatever the <laughs> yeah the sa- exactly yeah. Right, the yeah. sash. And she she's hiding in the hydrangea bushes. So that's a very I would have to say kind of an erotically charged scene. It's very romantic. He's obviously she's crazy about him, and uh, she she closes her eyes and and throws the rock at three uh, three twenty sycamore. But if that was filmed today, God forbid, if they did a remake, I mean, they would show everything. Mm-hmm. There'd, there'd be no, there'd no sense of discretion or limit. So what, they, what the Breen office did, it forced the entertainment industry to tell stories that had adult level content, but it was done in an artful way that would probably go over the heads of kids. Mm-hmm. And that was taken apart in 1966 by a lapsed Catholic named Jack Valenti. And that was replaced by what are now called the MPAA, the Motion Picture of America Association ratings, which are now a joke. I mean, rated R, 
that's basically rated X. Right, right. Uh, a PG-13 movie now is what, what I would ca- have called an, an R-rated movie as oh, a yes. kid. Oh, yes, yes. It's gotten, the standards have really gotten low <laughs> since, I remember as a child, um, I just turned 31, and as a child, I remember PG-13, like now they're saying things are um, G, and I would say, oh, that's definitely PG-13, and things that are PG-13, I'm like, mm-hmm. those should be X, there's no way... Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting time raising teenagers in a couple of years. <laughs> well, in about yes. in about eleven years for me, but <laughs> we'll see where we we'll are by then. There. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell them uh, our daughters. They all grew up. We, we watched um, Hitchcock and Capra mm-hmm. and Billy Wilder and um, um, the one movie that no one likes that that I remember liking as a kid. And now it just does not land on me. It's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. As much as I love. Uh, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke, uh, Dick Van Dyke show is so many, like Amazon prime. You, uh, even the public library, Stacy, yes, folks, if you're willing, if you're, if you're patient and you're willing to wait, you can get almost anything mm-hmm. from the library. Absolutely. Yeah. So. And Netflix has a lot of the older stuff. So does Amazon prime. Are you a fan of Terrence Malick? Do you know his movies? Uh, uh not okay. really. I no. I, I know that, uh, Terrence Malick is sort of the, the auteur, um, mm-hmm. indie guy who somehow made it work inside the industry. He was on hiatus for a long, long time. I remember watching Thin Red Line and thinking it was very slow paced. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually not I seen that see- one yet, but I love other films yeah. of his. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Tree of Life and I didn't see Hidden Life either. So. Yes, you need to watch Tree of Life when you're speaking about the premise. Mm-hmm. It's the book of Job. And if mm-hmm. you are a right brain person like I am, I think you'll really, really love that movie. Um, left brain people mm-hmm. tend to get frustrated by it because it's not linear. It's more as seen through the eyes of a child where you have little random snapshots of memories that you remember, which is certainly the case for me. I have I can pick out little moments, but I don't remember things happening linearly, um, if that's a word. Uh, but I think you'd mm-hmm. really like Tree of Life. Um, and then there's another okay. one, To the Wonder. Um, that one does have a... Um, scene in it that's erotic but it's i think it's very it's a it's that one's all about forgiveness and i I think that one's um the premise is you know as you were saying the premise of things looking at that um both of those have very beautiful very good premises so i'm gonna make that recommendation to you yeah um great so let's switch gears a little bit there's so much i want to talk to you about um all of that was so good with movies thank you um Yeah, we are just living in such a polarized society, and it's unfortunate. Um, And God help us in the 2020 election. Um, But the media, I just noticed this over and over again, they just love to slap a label on people in order to dismiss them if they, you know, if they don't like them. Um, So if you look up certain, you know, certain people, uh, they'll, they'll be labeled as far right or right extremist or whatever in order to get people to, to dismiss <laughs> mm-hmm. them. Um, and you've interviewed, um, you know, Jordan Peterson and Milo Yiannopoulos. And those are some incredible interviews. I think your interview with Jordan Peterson is first how I, I saw you and found out about you. And then the interview with Milo, mm-hmm. I'm going to link to both of those in the show notes. Interview with Milo, I think was the best interview I've ever seen. Uh, because he is such an interesting, controversial character. And you were so respectful, but then there were also things that you challenged him on because he's Catholic, but he's living in, he's gay married. And uh, you challenged him on that without without losing this basis of respect. Um, and I think that's something that we are really losing as a society is the ability to say, I, I care about you. I respect you. You know, I love you in Christ's love, but I also 
disagree with you on this or this or this. Um, so how, do, how yeah. do you go about challenging someone lovingly and how do we get that back in our culture? Oh my gosh. Huge, huge question. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> Let's start with the first part. How do you go about preparing? <laughs> I was expecting a hard question. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, well, I, uh, I can't think of anything profound to, to reply with, except that everyone, and this goes back to premise, uh, everyone wants to be happy. Hmm. The woman walking into an abortion clinic wants to be happy. And she thinks that doing this will make her happy mm. in this, in the form of relieving her of this, this fear, this pain, this unexpected event, this trauma, um, the far left ultra violent activist thinks that his public protests will help someone. He's really probably convinced that this is going to fulfill him mm. by turning over a car or, you know, changing genders it's very easy for people who have a solid family of origin context and a pretty healthy or more or less healthy emotional life to look at someone who's different and say, well, they're doing evil and they need to be corrected. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to slip into pontificating mode. Mm -hmm. I do it all. I know I, I have to keep myself in yeah. check. Um, I'm interested in people who, when I see what they do and I read what they say, seem to be heading toward true north, even if it's zigging and zagging. That might be something I saw in, uh, in Jordan. I've, I've interviewed him four times. The, the one that we, <clears throat> that we did in Los Angeles was my fourth, and that kind of really blew me up. Um, and I'm grateful to him. He's suffering a lot right now, mm -hmm. so keep Jordan and his family in your prayers. He's uh, a very interesting man. And I, I first got to know him because he was fighting the, the crazy drive to impose um, these, this uh, festival of pronouns mm -hmm. on the campus of the University of Toronto. That was September 2016, mm -hmm. so four years ago now. I can't believe how time flies. Yeah. But I saw someone who was being tagged as a bigot, and I thought to myself, if you're saying I'm not a bigot, th that means that you're already making an impact, and the people who control the grand narrative are threatened by you, so they have to start throwing bad names mm -hmm. at you. Mm -hmm. A bad name is not an argument. It's just a, like a a temper tantrum, yes. whether it's one of the, you're a, you're a blankophobe or, you know, a hater or rigid or whatever. These are not arguments. They're just cries of the heart. And so segueing from Jordan to Milo, um, I've been a Milo admirer for as long as I've been consuming his interviews and so on back when he was still in England. <clears throat> in fact, I, I watched him debate uh, Boy George on gay marriage. Mm when he worked for the Catholic Herald. And at the time, Milo was against it. And I thought he was very articulate and honest about the fact that he's divided in himself yeah. right now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so Milo was my first long form interview. It's almost two hours. And I credit him a lot for letting me go there. Mm -hmm. He, uh, the interview was called the unmasking of Milo Yiannopoulos. And uh, like everyone, he's on a journey. And what I appreciate and admire most about him, I think is that, He's willing to put himself in, in uncomfortable circumstances for the sake of the truth. Mm. And he doesn't put flowers or varnish on his own sense of being divided. And if you read his book, Diabolical, the thing he most hates in life, I think, is homosexuality. There's a chapter in his book called uh, Make the Vatican Straight Again, which is also pretty hilarious. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm drawn to funny. the paradox and I'm drawn to, to people 
who have been shunted, segmented, and shamed and banned. Like another example might be Gavin McInnes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Wh- like, why can't we just disagree? Why can't you right. present your arguments and I'll present mine and we'll come to terms and we'll get to our first principles. And that's the, cl- you know, the clash of ideas. Mm-hmm. Why this is not going to have a good end if people are not allowed to engage in the free exchange of ideas. I don't see it having any good end except for a violent one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, here we are, we're heading into another election cycle and all of the inner divisions that people feel are all up and out and externalized. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the polarization of the church and the world is really in, starts inside Patrick Coffin. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. m- macro is a synonym for micro. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know you want to, and I want to change the culture. Well, you really have to start on your knees with the person in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a big proponent of finding that, finding that, overlap of agreement and starting there and my favorite example of this if i can make one more allusion to bishop sheen bishop sheen's treatment of the woman at the well is one of the most beautiful when i first encountered it in his book life of christ i i was very moved by it the woman at the well in uh in john's gospel uh, she makes the point that um he lets her do most of the talking he asks a couple questions and she starts off by calling him sir and then she moves to uh, master. In the end, she's telling people he's the Messiah. So he, mm-hmm. she goes from stranger to bordering on worship. And he says, why was she there at noon? John's gospel includes that detail. She's drawing water from the well at noon. Well, because that's the heat of the day. Women never drew water at the heat of the day. They did it in the morning when it was cool. They could catch up on the, the news and they could gossip. So this woman with five husbands wanted to stay away from their gossipy stares and was willing to put herself in in the heat of the day to get the water that she needed. So here's Christ, our Lord, divine purity himself. And he's sitting with a woman at a well who's had five husbands. What on earth do they have in common? A love of cold water on a hot day. (laughs) And he asks her, that's the conversation uh, starting point, water. And the water that I'll give is, you know, he's referring to grace. Well, that just blew my, that just blew my mind. Wow. That, that our Lord in his very tender willingness to come to our level finds what we have in common. And that's the beginning of a conversation. So if you can maximize the friendship part of the, the interview E, then you can introduce points of disagreement and people love it. People don't want to be treated like there's no disagreement. Let's keep it all safe and domesticated. That's it's boring. It's irrelevant. And it doesn't convert people. It's not even interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so, so interesting as you're talking about all this, I'm I'm thinking about, um, a little bit of my journey with with um, (laughs) social media, fun, fun. Um, and I, I, I've done the, the, you know, arguing about abortion with where you have 200 comments on a thread, you know, and Mm -hmm. I've done that and no hearts were changed. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be, like you said, that basis of, uh, there needs to be a relationship or the other person at least has to get a sense that you care about them, which is very difficult. And most of the time, I think impossible to do through 
you know, through an online platform because you can't mm -hmm. hear how things are being expressed. Mm -hmm. um, it's been an interesting journey because I used to get when there was a disagreement and somebody would, you know, come up with, oh, da, 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 you hate women, whatever. I'm like, I am a woman. But anyway, but people would come up and, and you know, say, say things if I posted a picture of myself at the March for Life or whatever. And mm -hmm. for a long time, even the fact that they disagreed with me or they said all these terrible things that like it gets your heart rate going and you feel, you know, you start sweating and you feel anxious and you're like, there's somebody out there who disagrees with me. And, and mm -hmm. I think learning to maybe just mature and be like, you know what, they can disagree with me, but it says a lot more about them than it does about me, first of all, um, mm -hmm. because they don't really know where, you know, the re my reasons or whatever. And so I think it's been a little bit easier for me to a lot easier, actually, for me to post stuff that's pro life. And if somebody comes back with this angry response, to just be like, uh, you know, start off by saying like, Oh, I appreciate you expressing your opinion. Um, and then say whatever, you know, and, and try to try to say it kindly. This has been kind of a, a, a thing in my in my sort of journey of evangelization is how much do I share on social media about all this? Um, and I think everything I'm switching gears. I think everything you said about about interviewing people was was excellent um, when you do get to have that conversation. But then when it comes to something like social media, something where there's a screen that's blocking you. Yeah. Um, there is there was a time where I was totally I was like, okay, I'm just not gonna post anything pro-life anymore. I'm just gonna stay more in a safe zone. And now I'm like, you know what? I think I can dip my toe in that water. I think I can do that and just recognize that whatever is coming at me, I like what you said about temper tantrums. There's an emotion. There's a lot of um there's a lot of emotion coming from the other side usually. But to to accept that it's okay to disagree. And also if somebody says something that you know, challenges me from a picture for them uh, from the March for Life. It's it's like okay, well, um, if you want to if you want to talk about this, I'd be happy to. Just send me a message on my website, and we'll go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And of course, nobody takes you up on that because nobody actually yeah. wants to do that. They just want to yeah. appear right. Correct. Um, yeah, I think it was Mother Teresa who said, "We're not in the business of being right. We are in the business of loving one another," or something akin to that. Mm -hmm. And um, and so never to lose that is so important when you're when you're dialoguing with people. Um, what do you, what are your guidelines about sharing things on, say on social media? Um, you obviously do your, your interviews and that's a conversation and that's a really effective way, mm -hmm. I think, to have, to have an effective dialogue. But what about when we're talking about social media? Do you share, do you dialogue or, or go into any of that controversial polarizing stuff? Me? Nah. Controversy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I eschew it. It's a very, very good question. Everyone has a different uh, set of guidelines, do's and don'ts for what they are willing mm -hmm. to share and, and mm -hmm. how personal they're willing to get. Um, there's no topic that I won't cover on my show. I don't have mm -hmm. a filter that there's like a no, no topic. And yeah, your, your tagline is we go there. <laughs> yeah, we go there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You better be living that one out or you're really a phony if, if it's yeah. just the tagline. So, um, some topics are going to come with controversy in the form of people not liking you. You've got uh -huh. to be willing to gain enemies. Now, um, by gain, uh -huh. I don't mean provoke them so that they hate you. That's very easy to do, especially on Twitter. I mean, oh, yeah. if your stand evokes a negative response, you just have to go, all right, some people just, they just don't like me or they don't like the message. I'm, I choose to ignore them. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to ever win a debate on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I, I have a policy where I block what I've affectionately called FNCs, fake name cowards. I don't, mm. I'm not going to engage with someone who hides behind a fake name. I'm not doing it. 
And often the worst offenders are the ones with these hyper machismo Latin titles, you know, the dude, get out of mom's basement, use your real name. I mean, I'm in the open. I'm using my real name with a photo or an avatar. Why don't you do that? Mm-hmm. But they won't. So I just, I just block and move on. Yeah. But everybody, I mean, I, I, I don't mention family much. Um, I mean, I do inside coffin nation. I do from my podcast, I'll make some allusions, but I, I'm pretty protective of, of the home fortress. Um, my kids shouldn't have to, you know, share any blowback or whatever. I just want them to be, to be kids. Mm-hmm. Um, some people make different decisions. I, I just want to keep, keep it on the message and away from me, the personality, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, I do once in a while I'll go, I'll say something a little, I'll kind of, how do how can I put it? Normally it's content driven to do with culture and marriage restoration and porn addiction and films and communication and how to, why it's important to have a written budget. But once in a while I'll, I'll be a little more personal. I, I just did a video a couple of weeks ago called why I gave up drinking. And, I watched uh, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah very now that's, good. That's not my normal fare, but the comments were amazing. Like 99% had he thought about quitting drinking or, were inspired by what I said and did. I mean, I could do five mm. more videos with more reasons why I, why I, what is why I decided to quit. But mm. um, I just want to. My favorite definition of of a real man is from Gordon Dalby, Reverend Gordon Dalby. Great guy. If you're listening, Gordon, hello. He's a very <laughs> sacramental writer uh, who's a United Church of Christ minister. Uh, we'll make him a Catholic yet. But Gordon is a wonderful, <laughs> he writes about fatherhood. His website is abbafather.com. And Gordon's definition is a tautology. So here it is. A real man is a man who's real. <laughs> Which one. is not, mm-hmm. it's not macho. It's not passive. It's real. So mm-hmm. real men do cry. Uh, real men do have feelings. Real men do apologize but real men are also made to slay dragons. They're made to protect mm-hmm. women. They're made to defend the weak. They're made to respect people. Transparency and authenticity um, are coming through as, as qualities of who you should be online and who mm-hmm. you should be offline. Um, and I certainly in your mar- interview with Marcus Groda, you said, I wanted the truth no matter how uncomfortable yep. it was. Yes. And I think, I think that, that is, that is um, who we should be is uh, to be to be transparent, to be not afraid, to be ourselves, and to um, that really comes from being just rooted in the knowledge that you are a child of God. My husband is coming to mind. He's he's somebody that I see every single day, and I see him reacting to different people in different situations. And one things one of the things that I really admire about him is that he's the same person in church as he is in the workplace, as he is with our family. I mean, I don't see him very much in his workplace, but occasionally, um, and with our family, you know, and, and to just be the same person everywhere that you are, to not have different versions of yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. He sounds like a Gordon Dobby. A real man, a real man's is a man who's real, no air, yeah. no affect, no fakeness, just per- yeah. perfectly imperfect. Yes, yes, absolutely. And unafraid as well. This is something that my father-in-law, I think, and mother-in-law really instilled in him is not being afraid to go against what everybody else is doing and what everybody else thinks is the cool trend, not mm-hmm. to be a person, you know, t- who takes on the spirit of the age. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and his brothers, you, it's a they're, they're very um, 
sometimes they're almost allergic to like whatever's popular <laughs> in a sense because they they're not afraid to walk away from like I remember he told me a story about him and his brother and there were these they got their hands out of uh, on a at a sleepover their friend got their hands got his hands on a like a PG thirteen or R rated movie or something and they were about eleven and they were like oh we're gonna watch this movie and uh, my husband and and his brother called their mom and they're like we want to come home we don't want to stay here and watch this and their mom you know my mother-in-law showed up and took them home and let the other mother know what the other boys were intending to do and and to not you know that stood out to me i'm like to not be afraid to just be a person of character in the midst of this and let them say what they're going to say but just let you let your example you know speak for you that is very impressive because it's very yes <laughs> because that age is so peer pressure yeah yeah, that's that's yeah. astounding. Yeah, kudos to the upbringing because I yeah um, yeah I've been very influenced by a, a guy you, you can see on YouTube a lot. He's deceased now. A wonderful speaker named Jim Rohn R O H N. Okay. I always mm. I, I end just about every talk with with the quote I'm about to share with you now because it's it's something I've been chewing on for about five or five or six years. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. It, it brings up the question, who are my five? Who are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is Jesus one of them? <laughs> is mm-hmm. my, is my wife one of them? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw my interview with Gil Bailey on uh, Rene Girard. Rene Girard, French philosopher, explains a lot of human life, especially things we're dealing with now, like Twitter mobs and tr- mm-hmm. crazy trends, fashion things, office gossip. And the ultimate example of the scapegoating mechanism, the crucifixion of Christ, um, it, I think it's called why Rene Girard basically explains everything, <laughs> something like that. Because people, <laughs> his insight is he calls it mimetic desire, M-I-M-E-T-I-C, mimetic. Hmm. Mimetic desire means that you and I want things, but more than things, we want what we want the things that other people want. Hmm. We don't want it to be left out. Right. I saw on your, on your website, uh, a FOMO, FOMO, fear of missing out drives a lot of behavior. Mm -hmm. I've got to have this new thing. Everyone has this app. I can't live without this, whether it's jeans or remember the, um, the ice bucket challenge. Yes. I was actually thinking as well of apparently there's something called the tide pod challenge where you like swallow a tide pod and like, it's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Yeah. Right. Dumbest (laughs) thing in the world. (laughs) Right. Grow up. (laughs) Yeah. The ice bucket challenge yeah, so, is at least so, for a good cause or whatever. <laughs> Something like that. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of cynical about that. Like, where'd the money really yeah. go? Did, did, the, did the needle get pushed even, you know, half an inch? I don't yeah, know. yeah. Yeah, right. So. No, I hear you. And, and I think it can, it can manifest itself in subtle ways, too. Like, we think we can look at, oh, everybody has to have an iPhone or whatever. But I think other things, too, jealousy. I mean, think about mm. all of the competition and the comparison and the... Um, just the jealousy um, that comes from someone's looking at someone else's social media profile and looking at how many followers they have or how many likes they get and the feelings that that brings up in us mm-hmm. is, is I have to have this or yeah it, it can be really subtle and sneaky and certainly as a single woman I remember my jealousy watching everyone else's hit parade of their milestones of achieving engagement and uh, marriage and pregnancy and building a family and, you know, and they're going, what's wrong with me? You know? And it's like, do I really want these things because I want them or do I want them because everybody else has them? 
And uh, yeah. yeah, and certainly at a certain, you yeah. know, at, at midnight as I'm scrolling through Facebook many times, it was because somebody else wanted or because somebody else had them. And to me, that seemed like, well, these must be the best things to have. And now I'm here, of course, I have children, I have marriage, I had, you know, I got engaged and, and they are, mm-hmm. they are wonderful, but they are a whole, you have to eat the whole pie. And it's sacrifice and it's, yep. it's good, but it's also, it's also sacrifice. Um, very much so. Yeah. yeah it's, I hear that. Yeah. I've, I've had this little homespun because as you know, I'm a, I'm a verbophile. I love words. I love etymology. Yes. I love the root meanings of words. So I've, I've kind of domesticated my relationship to my own jealousy, uh, to other, to other things and people. Mm. And I, I make a, a distinction in my mind between envy and jealousy. Okay. And to me, the difference, see if this resonates, try, your listeners can try this out for size. Uh, God describes himself as jealous, right? He's a jealous God. Mm-hmm. But he's not jealous because he lacks something. He's jealous because he knows that we are made to love him above all things. And he doesn't want that to change. Mm. So he always wants to, to make sure that we know that he has to be number one. Not for his glory. We can't add a drop of glory mm. to him. Mm-hmm but because of what our deep, profound need is. Mm. So when I think, uh, I, I know that jealousy and envy are kind of synonyms in, in popularly, you know, and I get mm. that. But I think the difference for me is envy is when I want someone else to diminish. I'm, it's like jealousy with, with a jet fuel. Mm. I, I can't just, I, the thought of them increasing angers me. That to me, that's envy. Mm. Whereas jealousy is, man, I got to up my game. I want to be like him or I want, that's a great habit to instill. I don't have it. I'm jealous that they do. And maybe that can inspire me to imitate mm. them. Okay. See, do you see what I, I mean? Do. Yeah. Like one is, I want that. I want that guy dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned <laughs> to the ground. Keep going, going full De Niro, right? <laughs> Uh, as opposed to wanting to wanting to imitate, right? Because God's not envious of other gods because He's there is no other god to be envious of. He's He's just bingo. Yeah, exactly. That's well, a really good point. Yeah, and you are a bibliophile and a, a verbophile. I, every time I listen to an interview of yours, I feel like I go up a few IQ points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I do whenever I put my glasses on. My IQ <laughs> throw the roof. All about the glass. Where do you get your glasses? <laughs> <laughs> Who's your supplier? Oh, I said, oh, my supplier is a very, very high-end French boutique. It's called Costco. <laughs> yeah, mine is. Yeah, they have mouth. this uh, special special brand called Kirkland. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Oh, no. And it could be yours for nine ninety nine. Everyone is going to exhibit some mimetic behavior and go get themselves a pair of glasses <laughs> from Costco. I see. I see what you're doing. <laughs> weaving these themes, very good. We're gonna very have some good. very, uh, some very good uh, uh, vocabulary floating around pretty soon around the the country. Um, <laughs> I I love it. I've always I don't know. I I always I wonder why more people are not interested in constantly um, expanding your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It helps you out a lot to know that there's a word that fits something that you didn't even know the concept existed. Can I give one example? Yeah. And this is this is so fun. I had a terrible crush on my 12th grade English teacher. <laughs> and she was just so, she wasn't classically beautiful. She was just dreamy. And it was mostly her mind. She was very sharp and very witty. And she said, have you guys ever had the experience of learning the meaning to a word? And then 
the word suddenly seems to be everywhere in a couple of hands yes. go up. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know what I'm talking oh, yes. about? Yes, it happened. It's a okay, word I so, never hear. And then I hear it yeah. all of it all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So she, it was a Friday and she wrote the word ubiquitous on the mm-hmm. board. She spelled it out big letters, ubiquitous. She said, it's pronounced ubiquitous. I'm not going to tell you what it means until Monday. So on Monday, uh, anybody see the word anywhere? Almost no hands went up. I didn't, I didn't encounter it. And she goes, well, tomorrow I want you to, I'm going to ask the same question. Now I'm going to tell you what it means. Ubiquitous means appearing everywhere. I'm telling you, it's like magic. All of a sudden that night I saw the word in a newspaper article. That's awesome. And then someone used it on a TV show. Wow. And almost all the hands went up the next day. Wow. Because she had told us what the word means. Mm. So I, I, it's just a, uh, first of all, a very clever way of teaching the concept to use the word that, that exhibits the concept, mm, right? That is really cool. Um, yeah. My mom taught us uh, Latin. We were homeschooled and I'm definitely going to teach my kids Latin, not just because it's the secret language of the church, but also it's mm-hmm. kind of like our own personal version of like dwarvish runes or whatever from Tolkien, <laughs> but also because it gives you this basis of just understanding the roots of words so that you could figure them out. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. And the structure and the structure of a sentence, mm-hmm. you know, a subject and a predicate. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. And I like how you don't kowtow to, uh, you know, whatever marketing classes or whatever, where they tell you, you know, just write as people speak, don't write fancy words, people don't understand them. Um, I've, I've heard that before in social media marketing classes or whatever, just like the little free ones that you can mm-hmm. sign up for. And people will always say, mm-hmm. don't just don't use fancy words. And I'm like, no, I think I think people are, can I think people can. It's like saying, like giving a talk to teenagers, you know, and, and it's like, no, you have to dumb down the concepts for them. I'm like, I don't think so. I think they can handle the truth. <laughs> I think they can handle it. They think they want it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. I think it's, um, it's time and context. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're like, you have a very beautiful website. Um, I've visited stacysummer.com and you, you have a balance between not, I mean, you're not dumbing it down, but you're also not afraid to throw uh, something new. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of, I wouldn't say that in your, in your copy, the copy that you use for people who have no idea who you are, I think it's important to be uh, clear rather than clever. Mm-hmm. Like yes. you don't want people. Like I'll give you an example. A bad fact against myself is my first book is called Sexo Naturel: What It Is and Why It's Good for Your Marriage. Mm. Now it's about contraception. Now Sexo Naturel was my witty way of expressing that contraception is uh, is an interp- interposition. It's a kind of a it's an element of sabotage into the marital act. Mm-hmm. So sex on natural, the French phrase for naked is my little, you know, NFP nod. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. It's too clever. It's not a good book title. Mm-hmm. Now the new expanded version is called the contraception deception Catholic teaching on birth control. That's a much better title. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to kind of put clever on the shelf and go with clear. Yes. Um, and then, I mean, I don't, I don't, deliberately throw in a 10 a 10 dollar word but i also don't want to impede the way i I write either i want to sometimes i'll 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 just write i just write from the heart people say that i write the way i speak Mm. and i i just just kind of free-flowing um Mm. but i like writing a little 
as a, let me turn around as a reader. I like writing people who are smart, who are higher than me on the, on the totem of knowledge, but I don't like being lost. Like right. I like having to look up a word once in a while and I go, Oh, cool. Okay. And then of course I see that word everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a balance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you're trying to just look smart, it's like, don't do that. You know, you you lose people yep. and you end up you end up throwing in a fancy word for no reason. But yeah, but when it when the word is a, you know when it's apropos, <clears throat> absolutely. And and I like that too. I always look up the words you use after your you're my resident. Like uh, let's expand our vocabulary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my go-to. <laughs> well, my, my my work here is done. Then okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Great. So, man. There's a question that I didn't send you in advance, and but I but it's it's arising in my mind. Um, there's a I noticed from a lot of other Catholics that I talk to, there's a reluctance to be the face of the church to someone who disagrees with the church, and like I, I've kind of taken upon myself to just you know if if I'm going to talk about church or I'm going to talk about prayer or the fact that I'm a Christian to a total stranger, like if it comes up naturally, say I'm wearing one of the T-shirts that I design which says God's adventure awaits, like clearly this is a you know. If they compliment me or say something, you know, bring it up. I'm not going to shy away from it. And more often than not, because I've worked for nuns and because I'm a speaker, a Catholic speaker, like it just comes up pretty quickly. Um, or even the fact that mm -hmm. I have two children less than a year apart, <laughs> Catholic or Mormon. Um, so right. I'm not shy about it, but I notice a lot of people um, kind of have this idea that they need to have the catechism memorized and maybe the Bible too cover to cover in order to be able to talk about their faith and um what you obviously this is what you do as well um is is evangelizing where was the point where you were like i am just gonna not be afraid anymore to go to go up against say something like transgender transgenderism or homosexuality or these cultural these places where we're having clashes in our culture um what was the point where you were like i just i'm just i'm just doing it like, I'm just not going to be afraid to talk about it. Good question. I don't remember. I don't remember thinking if I talk about this, I'm going to feel afraid. So therefore, I'm not going to talk about it. I've done I did a four episode series on transgenderism mm. from four different angles. The angle of um same-sex attraction that developed in youth that led to cross-dressing that didn't become gender reassignment mm. uh, with Hudson Biblo, who's also a nationistic, by the way, great guy. Mm -hmm. Hey, Hudson. Uh, Hudson's also a great writer. Um, Dr. Michelle Critella, the president of the um, American Pediatric Society, uh, on how the, the trans movement is now infiltrating pediatri pediatrics as a medical profession. Uh, a former... Uh, well, he went through the, the mutilation procedure that hmm. became a, a, a female persona named Laura Jensen for seven years. He had a full gender reassignment. His name is Walt Heyer. He's a good, good interview. H-E-Y-E-R. Mm -hmm. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, tried to kill himself twice, became an alcoholic. Worst mistake of his life. Mm -hmm. And these are voices that, that, that the elites who control big tech and the conversation were permitted to have or not permitted to have. They don't want these voices heard. Mm -hmm. So they, they get tagged, they get deleted, they get banned. Those are the voices that I lean into because I know they're onto something important. Mm. And I don't know what it is. I, I, I realize it's, it comes with being called bad things. I know it's, it leads to people 
you know, wanting to protest or wanting to go back and, and, you know, somehow get revenge or, or say, you know, put me down or oppose me in some way. Um, the tagline, be a saint, what else is there? kind of flew out of my mouth in my first week at Catholic Answers Live. I didn't sit down and come up with it. Mm. And it's, it, it, it's another way of saying something that I read in a book by Leon Blois, B-L-O-Y. Um, he says, at the end of life, there's only one tragedy, not to have been a saint. Mm. And I thought, yeah, that's true. That is truth right there. Mm. So in some ways, we're going to be judged when we go before our, our loving Lord uh, as to what kind of enemies did we generate? Mm. I mean, who, who loved us? Who, who gave us applause? You don't want the wrong people giving you applause mm. on your judgment day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. So, I don't know. I, I've, I, I, when, I, when I speak with men, I talk about virtue, and the virtues always come alive in the presence of their opposing vice. Mm. So, the, mm-hmm. virtue, the virtue of chastity, for instance, is only a virtue if you're feeling sexually tempted. Otherwise, it's just a word. Hmm. Uh, patience only becomes active as a as a virtue if you want to throttle someone or you're tempted to lose your patience mm-hmm. um, courage you know it's courage when you feel f- afraid mm-hmm. because you're you're doing the right thing anyway even though you feel feelings of fear mm-hmm. and we're all prone to it I mean the, I, there's 200 plus references to fear and God's telling us in various ways be not afraid in scripture that was the first thing John Paul II said in October 1978, right? That's, you could summarize, it's interesting, isn't it? You can summarize his whole papacy with that, those three mm-hmm. words. Yeah, right. Every opportunity, every resistance is an opportunity to gain in virtue. It makes me grateful for all the resistance because there's, maybe it's just a really subtle way of our culture's desire for comfort becoming, uh, seeping in. You know, we don't want conflict. We don't want... Uh, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want change. We don't mm-hmm. want the possibility that somebody doesn't like us. And so it's so much easier to just keep our faith hidden because that way nobody has to know. Um, yeah, yep. I saw I saw this great meme. It was like, dear God, is this guy praying? He's like, dear God, please give me patience. Not opportunities to practice patience. I've had plenty of those, but just the actual virtue itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just every day. And um, something that that I, I think I learned something important this past summer through um, just seeing a lot of bumper stickers for this barbecue joint that's in town here in Winchester, Virginia, called Mission Barbecue. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing these bumper stickers everywhere. I was like, wow, there's another one of those bumper stickers. I need to, I really need to check out that place. I really need to go there. Wow, there's another one. Okay, these people must be really, really like this this barbecue joint. Yeah, oh, there's another one. Okay, now I really have to go there. So when we had friends in town and we were going out to dinner, I said, let's go to Mission Barbecue. And we did, and it was excellent. And I think um, sometimes taking the pressure off ourselves uh, as though thinking that we have to be Jesus in order to be the face of the church. Um, we just have to be another fan with a bumper sticker for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and that will be, that's, that's our witness. Our witnesses is, is one more person, but there's a lot of us out there. And I think sometimes we, we feel like there's not a lot of us out there, but there are. The Catholic church is enormous. Um, think Matthew Kelly talked about it as like a sleeping dragon. Like he talk, he likes to talk about the numbers of Catholics. And it's like, if we utilized all of us, if we really actually stood up and were unafraid to be Catholic, what, what would that look like? That would be, you know, that would be enormous. 
It's totally true. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be 100%. If 10% of baptized Catholics decided on one day to protest a Planned Parenthood or an abortion clinic, they would, it would end. Oh it would be over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be flooded. Yeah. Yeah. That's another conversation, but yeah, and isn't isn't boldness contagious? Yeah, yeah. As you're speaking and you're talking about like you know, be a saint. What else is there? I'm like, I want to go pummel the devil right now. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight in the face. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the uh, the? I think it's a relief sculpture from the 14th century of Mary punching the devil in the face. Oh, I think so. Did someone make that into a meme? I think it's been made into many memes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. It's just uh, great. <laughs> there's one. It's the Blessed Virgin, and her her uh, her meme statement is something like "Hold my baby" <laughs> as, she, <laughs> as she's about to whack the devil in the face. I love it. Oh, that that took it to the next level. I gotta go find that now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a goodie. Wow. Patrick, this is such a long interview, and I am so grateful. You promised me a deep dive, and you are delivering. Do you have time for well, one cool. more question? No, I, I do. You know what? My my uh, scout is resting with the angels in a sweet, tender way. I've got, <laughs> in fact, I've just reloaded with Tim Hortons. Oh. So um, I've never been. This is my first as a subject of a long form. I can go, I can go longer. No problem. Amazing. Yeah. I think my listeners would really love to hear your input, and so would I. <laughs> I on the crisis in the church. And again, we only have, I mean, we could have five interviews on this for sure. You have covered mm-hmm. many, you've been unafraid to go into territory where most other speakers or Catholic influencers that I know don't touch. And, and I think mm-hmm. if you're going to, if you're going to do it, you got to do it well. You can't throw accusations around where you don't have proof. So I think it's, 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 important to be really smart about it. And it's not like everyone necessarily should be speaking about this, but, um, but there's been a, just so much that's come out. I mean, all the letters of uh, Vigano, and now we're hearing all these crazy things about the Amazonian Synod. There's just a lot to know. Um, and I know that you are good friends with uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall and Dr. or not Dr. but Tim, Timothy Gordon. There's just a lot flying around. So I was also following them for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, I just <clears> felt <throat> like, you know, um, I'm watching these, I'm watching 10, 12 hours of interviews a week. This is becoming like a, a you know, a part-time job. And also because there's no answers, it's so frustrating. Yep. It's so hard to know how to respond. Um, it's so hard to just Keep your eyes really fixed on the truth when you see all of this craziness that's come out of the church. So mm-hmm. a couple of questions coming out of this situation. Um, number one is how closely should we be following the crisis? Should we be uh, getting to know all the players, all of the different, you know, there's certainly different factions within the church. Um, that's an understatement. And then also for those of us who have um, been following and don't see any solutions to these problems, you know, how do we keep our faith strong? I don't want to talk about this. No, I'm just kidding. Terrible. <laughs> you have to go there, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a very important question. I, I, and I'm only talking for, for me. I, there's so mm-hmm. many commentators. Some commentators are fly by night. They're, they've got a show that lasts five minutes and it's gone. Some just do it because they want to vent. But I'm only talking about my, my journey uh, in the last, say, seven years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so really, it's really the, the, the subsurface crises of the church have been put on the table after March, 2013 with the election of Pope Francis. And I, I, I agree with you about, you have to be careful with how much content 
that's bad news driven that you're willing to tolerate because um and i'm not i'm not sorry can you hear, can you hear me okay yes yeah I hear you. just grabbing my coffee here some background noise um, i hear that lavaza <laughs> well this one's tim hortons this is not this is coffee not uh Oh, you've moved on. Yeah, I've moved okay. on. I've grown up from Lavasa to Tim Hortons. But what what I wanted to say is, after a while, it starts to sound like doom porn. Yes. The, oh my gosh, it's heresy. It's terrible. It's a crisis. He did this. So and so did that. Bishop, blah blah. And then, where's your peace? And you can almost hear right. the devil cackle. You know, you're are off the ball and your friendship with jesus christ is suffering because you are looking at things that first of all it's from a human point of view with with little supernatural perspective secondly it's um driven by the spirit of you know i'm with paul i'm with apollos you're with the cephas right we've been dealing with this since the early church where people want to ally with a tribe you know, rather than be part of the church. Like there's a movement among some traditionalists. Um, they, they've sort of tagged it, uh, unite the clans. I'm sorry. I know it sounds like Braveheart and it's really cool sounding, but there are no clans. There's just the church. We're not, we're not a collection of clans. We're the body of Christ. And our capstone, our head, our founder, uh, our Lord is got to be our first love. And you've got to be in touch with him every day in prayer. If you're not praying but you're a Catholic commentator or you're an apologist and you, and you have no prayer life, then your prayer is just a hobby. Your, your life's just, you know, it's just a kind of a, um, they argue because some people, let's face it, Stacey, mm. some folks are just addicted to conflict. They just, they have to be opposing someone else. So I, I don't want to shy away from the, that yeah. we have a Pope that seems to specialize mm. in weaponized ambiguity. I don't want to not tell the truth about poorly written documents and Peronist policies and Machiavellian schemes and corrupt prelates. I don't want to, I don't want to lie about any of that. And I won't. On the other hand, if that's your whole shtick, then apart from feeling better because you vented who are, who you're bringing into the church. Um, I do believe that there's a truth in wanting to imitate the sons of Noah and cover the nakedness of your drunk father. I get that. Right. It's a beautiful impulse. But what happens if your father's an alcoholic streaker? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, Houston, we have a problem. Um, and I'm just trying to find a way, and there's no perfect way to do it, to be frank and direct <laughs> about what is happening under this uh, pontificate with faith that the Holy Spirit is as with the church as he was in the day of Pentecost. Now, Pope Francis has, if he wanted to renew the church and strengthen the church, I think it's happening, perhaps not in the way that he humanly intended it. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I've met in the last, let's say, year, who are suddenly, out of the blue, interested in learning what the, the extraordinary form is all about, the traditional Latin Mass. People, they want, they want to learn things that have to do with the Latin culture of the church. They want to know about liturgy and where it all came from. Mm. They want to learn what happened in the, in the gap between the resurrection and 1962. Everybody hears 5 million things all the time about Vatican II. Do people know there was a Vatican I? Do people know what was at stake in the Council of Trent? 
So I want to I, I want to encourage Catholics to grow deeper in their relationship with Christ and not ignore the problems, but don't dwell on the problems because the church is a family and because we're fallen sinners, it's a dysfunctional family. Even though as the church per se is the spotless bride of Christ, we have to put up with each other. And, you know, we've been kind of spoiled for two generations. We've had popes that have focused on clarity and even clarity at the point mm. to the point where, I mean, look, look at how the New York Times, just take any sample, any like 10 random articles from the New York Times mm. about John Paul II and take any random New York Times article about Pope Francis. Pope Francis is sort of the mascot of the media. They've kind of adopted him as their white-hatted proxy. Now, sometimes his views are kind of kooky left-leaning, but sometimes the press will deliberately put a filter on where they, they ignore things that he says they don't like. For instance, I don't know of any pope in recent history who've talked, who's talked more about the devil's activity than Pope Francis, or that gender ideology is from the father of lies. Like, what?! Mm -hmm. But that's, that, that will not make the New York Times. They'll talk about globalism and, you know, uh, all the, the left-wing and Jesuitical enthusiasms that they personally mm -hmm. support. So I, I want to do the both and. I want to do both encouraging people to learn the deposit of faith and recognize that Jesus Christ chose sinners to run the church. His first 12 selections, humanly speaking, were not very impressive. Um, Started, starting with the one that he called Rock, the least likely guy to be called Rock imaginable. I, I would understand if our Lord called Simon Nerf, you know, upon this Nerf, I'll build my church, but not Rock. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, that was a long-winded answer, but... That was perfect. <laughs> I love it. That's really good. Um, and and continue, piggybacking off of that, you know, you are building a community of culture restoration with your coffin nation and what do, what would you like to see catholics doing that they are not doing oh my gosh what how long do we have <laughs> um as long as you want <laughs> this can be the three-hour podcast that's um, fine i would like catholics to the very first step is answer the question who am i properly am i am when, when i say the question i am as, as a statement What's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, I'm American. I'm Canadian. I'm blonde. I'm tall. I'm fat. I'm smart. I'm witty. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. The first thing I believe has to be, I'm a son. Mm. I'm a daughter mm -hmm. from a woman. That's my first I am. Because I, I, now we have, because of no-fault divorce, mm -hmm. because of the contraceptive mentality, because of abortion on demand, because of the redefinition of marriage, we're inwardly fragmented. And it all the fragmentation starts with the mm. last half of that sentence, I am. So this is a great opportunity for evangelization because the church has been mm. saying who you are for 2,000 years. You are the object of infinite divine love through baptism. You have been made a son. And the son has a guaranteed place in the home, unlike a slave, right? So that's so all of the, all fatherhood and all motherhood flows first from sonship and daughterhood. If that that's a compressed way of saying it. Um, and realize, I could not believe how many people, even the first month when we launched Coffee Nation over a year ago, people were finishing each other's sentences in multiple countries. Everyone's dealing with the essential same challenges, whether it's. 
how to like your kids are very young mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. You're probably already thinking, how are we going to discipline them? What are we going to read them? Um, I, one of, I, I love how, agree more. how the Holy Spirit in inspiring scripture does it to the, what, what Sheen calls the finesse of all details. If you've ever paid attention to uh, Psalm 127, it's, it's about uh, children as, mm -hmm. as arrows in a quiver. Well, think about what an arrow is and how beautiful this image is. An arrow is a weapon of war. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he's, God is likening our children to warriors. But these special warriors are held by us. And the sheath is a kind of, um, it's a metaphor for the womb as well. So our quiver has mm -hmm. arrows that we allow into the world because we think sex is for babies and bonding because we believe that life and love belong together. And in, in the Hebrew soldier's equipment, you, you didn't want to go into battle mm -hmm. with 2.1 arrows, right? You wanted to go in there with a quiver full. When these arrows get unleashed by our, by our crossbows, it's like our children going out into the future. They're going where we can't go. Hmm. God willing, they'll succeed us. And so, and I, my wife and I had this mindset when our girls were very small. We're, we're building daughters here. We're building 18-year-olds. Hmm. So when they, leave the root, hmm. when they leave the roost, they're independent moral agents. They're, they're making decisions that they know are in their, their, their interest in the light of the gospel. Because if it's rules only... Well, guess what? When the rule maker's out of the room, you make your own rules. And so, um, so, so, so there's that. Um, back to, back to Kotha Nation. Yeah, building up the family, yeah, starting, the starting family with you. If you don't know mm -hmm. that you are a son or a daughter, mm -hmm. then how can, you be, uh, how can you be a father? Right. Or a mother. Right, right. There's something very important I've been in, uh, identifying in myself lately. Um, I, I listen to the Abiding Together podcast, and they sometimes use this term, the uh, an orphan spirit is what they call. And, um, you know, when we read in Romans, you know, that we were not given a spirit of slavery. We were not given a spirit of poverty to fall back into fear, but we were given a spirit of adoption. Mm -hmm. and uh, from which we can cry, Abba, Father. And that's a spirit of eternal hope. And when I'm praying and when I'm rooted in that knowledge, when I'm in regular dialogue with my Father in heaven, when I actually read scripture and know what his promises are and then see him fulfill those promises in my life, um, I'm not acting out of an orphan spirit. I'm acting out of a, a security. And it's it's real and it's a, a, a deep foundation from which I can make leaps that I would not be able to make if I had an orphan spirit. Mm. With an orphan spirit, you're just grasping at what you can get today. And you're you're just trying to make decisions. And I see this different points in my life. I had um, just such a, a lack of security in who I was. And so the mentality was, let's just get what we can today. Let's just do what's gonna get us to the next point, A or B. It's like a spirit of like, I have to survive because I don't have enough. Mm. And then that's mm -hmm. like, like the musical Annie, just looping it all back around to what we were talking about like two hours ago. Um, <laughs> just gonna, I was just gonna say that, yeah. yeah orphan spirits, it's a, actually, it's a profound little uh, way to compress it. Yeah, yeah. And I love that term so much because I see that so much in my own life is, when I notice that my motivations for things, I ask myself, is am I acting out of an orphan spirit or of a, a spirit of adoption right now? Where's that, where's that grounding? Where's that security? And that comes from time spent with God, like you said, intimate prayer with the Lord, knowing his voice and, and giving him the space to speak in your life, kind of opening your heart so that he can fill it. You know, are you doing mm -hmm. that? Um, but yeah, yeah, that's 
there, I, I, I couldn't agree more that there's a crisis of identity, even within the church, because we go to mass, but I see so much, um, and I felt this myself as a cradle Catholic raised in the Catholic bubble, homeschooled, I still didn't have that security. I didn't, I hadn't crossed that bridge to the point where there was a, God was my father. You know, he was like somebody else's father, some idea, but he wasn't my father. He wasn't really intervening for me and fighting for me. Um, he was like, he's, he's the father, but not your father. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how he's, how will I even know his voice if he were to speak or how would I even see him working? Um, and, and sort of learning, like I can ask him for things and he's going to fulfill the promises that he made in scripture. Um, Maybe not in the way I expect, but but better if not what I expect, and um, and that's been that's been a really beautiful unfolding of of my faith. Uh, one of my podcast guests, Mike Creevy, said, um, "It's at a certain point you have to stop renting your parents' faith and purchase your own, and it's going to cost you something." And that has really stayed with me. Is is that purchasing your own faith is that um, you need to, you need to know that it's real to do that. <laughs> You're not going to buy something. You're not going to put down money for something that's just fake or just a dream or just a, a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think he, I think he got that from me. Seriously? You'll be hearing from my attorney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, it's, um, it's all true. Yeah. And, and I, I think um, this could go to an entirely different direction, but the way the church now administers confirmation at the, at the pinnacle of 12 to 14 year old cynicism, um, we impose the sacrament as a, as a carrot at the end of a two year long stick mm-hmm. is bizarre to me. A lot of the dioceses in the United States are changing to what's called original order, which is essentially con- confirming um, when you baptize, which is how it's done in the East. Mm. If you read the catechism section on confirmation, it presumes this original order, but mm. um, you know, cause y- young people, are capable of sanctity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saint um, Sanchez del Rio, one of the Cristero martyrs, fourteen, mm-hmm. my friends, mm-hmm. age fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria Goretti, she was eleven. Mm-hmm. So why do we treat you know preteen kids like they're somehow not prepared or or not uh, not capable of the heights of sanctity? Mm-hmm. Um, most of the scholars and the, the little flowers, Saint Teresa of Lisieux, believe that she was. She was already in the, this mystical union with Christ before she entered the convent hmm. and died at age of 24. So right. anyway, this yeah. is, it's all, it's all good content. I was just hearing about the, the little visionary um, Jacinta from, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and she was nine when she died. And she used, to, mm. she used to tell off adults for using bad language when she was seven. <laughs> she used to tell them about God. That's, She'd be yeah. like, you may not say that. It's like you go, girl. Wow. <laughs> Died at age nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Patrick, this is yeah. my goodness. What amazing wisdom! So much content in here. This is incredible. Where would you like people to find you, and what do they get if they join Coffin Nation, which I am a member of? Yes, I'm so glad that you're inside, and I yeah. love seeing your uh, your input, Stacy. Your uh, the, the feedback and the things. I'd love to. Well. Where, where do I go? How, how, how can I answer this? Um, I always like to ask people on the inside who are our members what it's like more than my pitch on what I've created. But we have three levels of engagement, and we uh, it's all centered around restoring the culture through restoring the family. Mm-hmm. And uh, every month we do a deep dive with an expert. It's called Transform You. Today, the expert for this month is 
I think she's a very saintly, brilliant woman. She's a great grandmother and a former atheist, Jewish upbringing. Wow. Her name is Dr. Rhonda Chervin. Uh, good guest for your show, by the way. Rhonda Chervin has written 60 books. Oh, my gosh. She was brought, in, she was brought into the church by someone, uh, what Pius XII called the, seventh, the 20th century doctor of the church, Dr. Dietrich von Hildebrand, mm-hmm. and his, his uh, wife, Dr. Alice von Hildebrand. This month, the Transform You is on suffering but without bitterness. Mm. Her son, Charles, her only son, Charles, uh, jumped off a bridge in Big Sur. 16 years ago and killed himself wow so she has these insights that are are rich and golden and it's a very important thing thomas aquinas when when he talks about the the existence of god says there are two pretty formidable arguments against god one is the seeming ability of science to to explain everything which would make god redundant and the second is the question of innocent people suffering. How can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Mm-hmm. So, so does that transform you? We have a, a weekly live webinar called Ask Away Thursdays. Mm-hmm. I do those. a coffin report almost every week. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the starting line. Yeah. We're also having, oh, I'm glad you, we're, we're recording this in February 2012. No, <laughs> that's good, Patrick. 2020. I'm really bad at time. <laughs> I don't have ADHD. I don't have ADHD. <laughs> um, our first culture con is going down yeah, in November. Yeah. We're just securing a date in a facility. So that'll be our first meetup and so everyone cool. else is welcome to join us. Um, we're going to hear talks by Dr. Judith Riesman, who's the first researcher to blow the lid off Alfred Kinsey, the father of the sexual revolution. Uh, Joseph Shambra, former gay porn performer, mm. now street evangelist. Uh, Tim Gordon on why America will perish without Rome. Mm. Father Sebastian Walsh is going to talk about the war on fatherhood and hopefully, God willing, Father Robert Spitzer on the four levels of happiness. Mm. So that's going to happen in, in, um, in November. Coffinnation.com is a good, a good uh, spot to go. Yeah. Watch the trailer. Maybe it'll be for you. Otherwise, um, the podcast is uh, new content every uh, every Tuesday. Yeah. You have so much content that you put out. It is, um, I enjoy everything, all of the interviews that I watch. I always learn something new, if not from your vocabulary, then, well, always from your vocabulary, but also from your <laughs> expert guests. <laughs> and, yeah. um, yeah, and, and I, it really is, it's, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. And I do recommend that my listeners check it out. There's, um, there's just, um, it's all from a, a it feels like sitting down with a friend and hearing, you know, literally what we're doing now, being able to pick your brain about any topic um, from a Catholic mm-hmm. perspective that you can trust. And I think um, I know as a as a young Catholic, I'm uh, not that young, but, you know, on the young end, it's it's hard to know who to trust sometimes. And, and I think, um, you know, yeah. Coffin Nation really delivers that. Also a very supportive Facebook page. There's a lot of very active oh, right. members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a new, a new forum for people who do, who don't like a Facebook. So oh, really? oh, uh, we have a lot. Of, right. I mean, people can really yeah. let their hair down. We, I mean, people share a lot of personal stuff, and there's mm. a sort of a circle of trust that builds up over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, with people, yeah. It's so funny. Our last Ask Away webinar, we had. There's a member in I won't say the city, but it's northern Canada. Another one in Adelaide, Australia. Wow. And it. In Adelaide, it was 115 degrees, and they were dying. It was the time of the the Scorchathon at Australia. Oh my goodness! But in Northern Canada, it was 40 below. Same moment. Wow, 
So that's fun. Unreal. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I just so, so appreciate all the content that you put out. And it's so much that I I don't even watch everything. I feel like every time, you know, there's so much coming in, but that's good because, you know, just your output is truly incredible. Um, so. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't want to overwhelm people, but we also want to over deliver. So, yes. you know, you don't, there's, it's not, there's, there's no test. There's no one's going to, no one's observing what you click on and what you don't click on, right. but hopefully there's something for everyone. And I would yeah. say 95% of our members are, are Catholic who want to take the next level. So yeah. I'm, so, I'm so honored that you're with us, Stacey. Yeah. Thank you, Patrick. I'm honored to be a part of it. And it's honor, it's an honor to be inspired by you and to continue to, you know, to, um, to learn from you. Cause there's, we need, uh, especially as you know, young adults of the church. There's a big gap. Where do we go for our knowledge on all these things that are happening? You know, we're through confirmation, we're through college and campus ministry. How do we do this? Mm-hmm. So I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. right. unless unless you die or get married, you're not going back to church. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Hatched, matched, dispatched. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> love that. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's um you know it's just such a pleasure to to be a part of it. I I'll put that in the show notes. And I recommend that all of my listeners uh, go and uh, check out Coffin Nation. And Patrick, I want to thank you for your time. This is epic. This is by far the longest interview that I have ever done. And I still feel like we could talk about so much more. Um, So, yeah, thank you very, very much. Well, thank you. I have a goon squad. I'm willing to dispatch them to have me back on your show sometime down the road. (laughs) That would be an absolute pleasure. We'll do that. Okay. Well, thanks again, Stacey. I really enjoyed it. And I also learned a lot. And uh, thank you. Yeah. Cool. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Oh my gosh, that happened. That was so cool. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thanks for hanging with me through this entire episode. If you made it to the end. In Paradisum, I'm about to sing that at the end here. And the text in English is very beautiful. May the angels lead you into paradise. May the martyrs receive you at your arrival and lead you to the holy city, Jerusalem. May choirs of angels receive you and with, with Lazarus, once a poor man, may you have eternal rest. That's for my grandpa. Grandpa, this is for you, as well as for anyone who has lost a loved one. So God bless you. I'm going to see you in two weeks. And I want to thank Michelle Snyder for becoming my caffeinated champion on Patreon. Girl, I am so happy that you are part of the group. Welcome to the community. God bless you guys. Talk to you soon.